0: Take your Bibles if you would, and let's turn to John chapter 8, where we begin this series. John chapter 8, and this series has been called Freedom in Christ. And let me just say that there is so much more to this concept and this thought, and we really just kind of scratched the surface, Uh, but we are gearing up for a new uh, series, and I'm going to be bringing you out of the book of Joshua that I think will help us as we Get started moving into uh, the fall season, really excited about that and uh, uh, but take your bibles and let' let 's look at the final the final message in this, and it really feeds out of uh, last week 's message about freedom from fear and regret, and how all the different fears of life cause us to stumble and cause us to do sorts of things that we really uh, end up regretting and and it causes us to do things that we regret and Most of all, fear keeps us from doing those things that later on in life we wish we had done. And so we talked about freedom from regret. Well, today I want to talk about freedom from guilt and freedom from shame. And those are kind of things that uh, come into our lives because all of us have issues. All of us fall into sin. All of us have done some things we're not proud of. And, uh, you know, you have to be... Really cautious today. Everything's on film. You got dash cams pointing at you. Every place you go, you, you you're conscious of that now. Most of the time, uh, we live in a society where everything's captured in a picture. We were at uh, uh, the beach several years ago, and uh, we were up in a condominium that was in one of these high rises in uh, the Destin area. And we were watching one evening, just looking at the beauty of the ocean, and we watched a young man who, who walked out onto the beach, and he began a project that kind of caught our attention. And he began to uh, write something in large letters in the sand. You know, he was just out there writing. And, but then we noticed he was scattering uh, uh, the rose petals and flower petals, and he began to, to formulate this message, something along the lines of, Will you marry me? And we begin to watch this young man go to all of this work. And so we were absolutely intrigued. Evidently, I don't think he was asking me to marry him, but I saw the message. And then we watched it unfold as the young woman goes out and sees this incredible message in the sand. And at that moment, her life changed. That moment, her life changed. And then we, then we watched as the family who had been part of this plan come out. And all the family are rejoicing. But in that moment, we saw the picture of this young lady's life and this young man's life completely alter, Just completely altered. And we watched it. And it was because someone decided to write in the sand a very important invitation. And scattered in that invitation were the red Petals of a rose. Her life changed that day because she said yes. Now, I hope that turned out to be a good marriage. <laughs> we don't know. We don't know. But, man, was it fun to see. That, they were snapping all sorts of pictures. I even got a couple of pictures. I may show you one at the end of the service. I got a couple of pictures of that moment. That changed life. Compare that to another scene where there's a young man riding in the sand. And he offers an invitation to a young woman. Well, we don't really know what age she is. But with his finger, he writes in the sand. She meets Jesus and the picture of her life changes. That's what we see. In John chapter 1, look at what it says in verse 3. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and placing her in the midst in the midst of what? Well, the beginning chapter begins with Jesus teaching in the courtyard of the temple to a large crowd of people. And the scribes and Pharisees decided to make a point, they're going to test Jesus, and they drag out someone I believe they probably knew all along. They were going to set this up, and and this woman was caught in adultery, and they drag her out in the midst of everybody. The entire condominium's watching this. Maybe she's even draped, not fully clothed. What a humiliating picture. Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. What do you say? You're a friend of sinners. We've seen you. Are you going to disobey the law of Moses or are you going to follow through with what it says? Well, they're trying to trick Jesus. And they said this to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him and Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground is that on your, is that on your list to ask Jesus when you, and when you get to heaven what did you write we have no idea we don't know if he's just doodling just killing time we don't know if he wrote the names of some of the, some of the adulterous affairs that the scribes and pharisees we don't know I just get a kick out of this Jesus is just writing in the sand with his finger. Well, they continued to ask. And finally, he stood up and he said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to do what? How many of you have heard that phrase? He who is without sin cast the first Stone. Now, we often have heard that, and we use this as a great lesson not to be judged and, and not to judge others. And, and none of us are perfect, and I think we all know that, but that's really not the, the, the major gist of this story. Because look what happens. Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more, he bent down and wrote on the ground. Here he goes back in the sand of the, the temple. And when they heard it, they went away one by one beginning with the older ones, and Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Now, it's interesting that it says he was alone. He was there teaching a multitude of people. I wonder if the people were still around. I wonder as soon as he started doodling, they kind of cleared out. (laughs) The Pharisees came in with the guilty woman. But in this story, everybody is convicted. Everybody comes under the judgment of God. Everybody sees that when it comes to the law, they had failed. They were guilty. Even the Pharisees, when Jesus pointed to them, when he pointed to them, they began one by one beginning with the oldest, who had the biggest catalog of problems, they begin to drift away. And Here's this amazing picture. Jesus, the holy, perfect Son of God, and a woman convicted of, of a sin that required the penalty of death. And look what he says. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, do what? Sin no more. What a picture. How would you like to be dragged into church? How would you like to be dragged in the front of everybody in your sin by the religious leaders in broad daylight and, 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 and her family now knew the shame of her sin. Her husband, or uh, it, her husband knew about her sin, her church and the temple, the people knew about it. All of her friends now knew about it. She would have had that scarlet letter emblazoned on her life to live with day in and day out. And worst of all, Jesus, this new rabbi who was the the Messiah, this great teacher, was standing eye to eye with her in her absolute adulterous sin. What a picture. Now, all of us have pictures similar to this. Maybe, maybe you have that same sin. Maybe you've been caught in adultery. Maybe the picture is one you hope no one finds out. You live in a, in a constant sh, uh, uh, state of um, worry and concern that somehow your guilt will be seen by others. What is the picture of in your mind? What would the picture be that, that you are most guilty of or ashamed of? Maybe it's a picture of a happy family torn in two by infidelity. Maybe it's a failed marriage. Maybe it's a a controlling, embarrassing habit. You would not want anybody to have a picture of those things. Maybe it's a picture that brings you guilt and shame like a mugshot. You did a stint in jail or prison. You don't want anybody to know. Maybe it's the picture of a child gone wild in your family. It brings you guilt. Maybe it's, maybe it's something you did in an automobile that's on a dashboard cam and you changed someone's life for the, for the worst. Maybe it is a, a picture of you when you're not here with your smile on and your, your nice clothes on. It is a picture of, of deep depression. It's a picture of rage. Maybe it's a picture of bitterness Maybe it's a picture of a bad and dishonest decision that has haunted you in business or a failed business. Maybe it, maybe it is you, you've been fired or you've lost a job. Whatever it may be, all of us have those kind of pictures in our lives that we don't want to put in the family uh, photo album. But Jesus sees it. Jesus sees it. Maybe it has gone on in your life to the point that everybody sees it. Everybody knows about it. Maybe you feel like O.J. Simpson walking around. Everybody knows you did it. Guilt and shame. Listen. Living with that kind of picture constantly in your mind will absolutely imprison you. It will slowly erode your joy, your self-confidence, your hope, your image, your friendships. It will, it will destroy your outlook on the future. Shame will shut down your life. Guilt can get a grip on your heart and squeeze out the life that God wants you to have. And so in this picture... I want us to see, as this man uh, doodles in the sand with this adulterous woman, I want us to see just very simple, very simple truths to help us be free from guilt and shame. Look back at verse 7, and I want you to see the first thing that uh, we must do to be free of guilt and shame. The first thing we must do is accept and confess God's conviction. Now, I want you to notice what happens. In verse 7, it says, and they continued to ask him, these Pharisees, he stood up and said, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more, he bent down and wrote on the ground. And when they heard it, they all went away. They, they could not stand. They would not stand and confess and accept the conviction. They would not stand in Christ's presence But the young lady did. She stayed and was willing to continue to face Christ in her sin and accept his conviction. Nowhere in this story did Jesus go, you know what you did wasn't wrong. It was okay. He never excused her sin. He just simply pointed out that she wasn't the only one in that crowd with it. He just highlighted the fact that every single person in the crowd, in particular the ones who thought they were the most sinless, these scribes and Pharisees, in their heart of hearts stood condemned according to the law of God. You know, it says in the Old Testament that God wrote the Ten Commandments with His finger. I wonder if that's why Jesus used His finger in the dirt. He was basically taking the finger of God and pointing it squarely into the face of every single person, including this adulterous woman. He did not look at her and say she was guiltless. He didn't look at her and say, what you did was okay. He basically opened it up and the conviction of God fell on everyone there. Has it fallen on you? You'll never be free from guilt and shame until you own your sin. Until you are willing to say, I have done it. I confess it. This is the reality of my life. And let me tell you, one of the reasons I think she walked away freer than anybody in that entire place is that her sin was absolutely exposed. She had nowhere to hide. And I think that is one of the keys to finally moving out of the shame and guilt is to just don't cover it up. You go to the person you have sinned against. You go to some counselors and others who can help you. And you just open this up and say, I am fallen. God has convicted me of this. I stand guilty as charged. I've done it. The Pharisees wouldn't do that. They just left. But she accepted it. It's interesting. Leviticus 20.10 says this. The man who commits adultery with another man's wife, even who commits adultery with his neighbor's wife, the adulterer and adulteress shall be put to death. The law was clear. Jesus never changed the law. He didn't change it in this story, and He's not changing it for us. The reality is, you stand convicted before a holy God. we got to accept that. we got to confess that. We must own our sin and own the responsibility and the consequences of that. Your sin, your sin is not just bad. It doesn't just offend God. It affects everybody. And we have to own the consequences of it. And here's this woman. She is standing there. She looks around. And she owns it. She accepts it. She exposes that sin. And confesses it. Before the Lord. These, uh, these Pharisees. Were hypocritical from the very beginning weren't they? They didn't bring the man. They just brought the woman. They were uh, picking what laws they wanted to follow. And some of us do the same thing. If you're not careful in your self-righteousness, you'll find the laws that you are following and you'll, you'll kind of say, I'm pretty good at that. And, but you don't come before the entire law of God and confess and own your sin. We see in this passage the sin of self-righteousness. And some of us are so excited we look at those Pharisees and we're like, yeah, Jesus, you go get them. Those people that think they're so good, think they're so perfect. Man, nah, I don't like them. You, you just tell them that. But he also convicts the sin of self-gratification. They were no worse of a sinner than the adulterous woman. And so whichever side you feel more sympathetic to, it really doesn't matter. Everybody stands condemned by the law of God. It points its finger at us, whether it's the sin of self verification, the sin of self righteousness. You know, you think about it, all of those people, those Pharisees, scribes, and even the adulterous woman, are doing things in their life to try to make themselves feel better. She's seeking attention and approval through the giving of herself away to these men. And they are seeking approval and confirming their identity and trying to find their hope in the approval of men and the approval of people, of their particular ways of living. All of us stand convicted. Listen, if we don't continue, if we don't come before God honestly, confess that sin... The Holy Spirit is going to do this. He will not leave you alone in your sin. He will continue to convict you of those sins. He'll continue to expose the light on that sin until you own it. And you confess it before the Lord. Well, here's the second thing that she did. We must seek and receive God's forgiveness. We must seek and receive God's forgiveness. What a contrast. Man, the law pointed its finger at the adulteress and the law turned and pointed its finger at the scribes and Pharisees. She stood and sought and received the forgiveness of Christ and these did what so many people do. They just turned and went away. These scribes and Pharisees could have asked and received from Christ, the same forgiveness. But they didn't. Look at verse 11. She said, No one, Lord, is condemning me. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. It's interesting. The difference between condemnation uh, and conviction. You know, conviction is guilt over unconfessed sin. Now, that's a good thing. Do you know guilt? Sort of like fear. There's good guilt. There's good guilt. Guilt, that is conviction over unconfessed sin, is the Holy Spirit's way of getting you out of that sin and bringing you to Christ and bringing you to a point of confession A point of repentance. And so that is good conviction. That's conviction. But condemnation is what Jesus doesn't offer to us. He says condemnation is conviction over confessed sin. And some of you are living in a constant state of feeling condemned when Christ looks at you and he says, if you receive my forgiveness, I will give you no condemnation. He stops pointing the finger of God and he offers the forgiveness of God. you have to receive it. You have to receive it. And she did. But I want you to look at the next word. And this is where we struggle sometimes. You see, I've heard this passage over and over again. I know I'm supposed to confess my sin and ask for God to forgive me. But notice what Jesus said. He said, Neither do I condemn you. Now, Go. Go, go, move on from this moment of forgiveness. Move on from me pronouncing you non-condemned. Move on from this encounter with me in a state of forgiveness. But what a lot of us do, and what, if you're not careful, you will continue to come back to that place and go, oh, I'm still worried about this. I'm still concerned. And you replay this picture over and over and over in your mind. And so I just put this before you. Just picture this young lady picking herself up. She's standing. Christ says, now, go. Live your life. Move on in good standing with God. I have pronounced you clean. How many of you are living like that? How many of you continue to beat yourself up? How many of you are continuing to cover up and hide? Or how many of you just, uh, you just struggle with that guilt? I just want you to picture Jesus. He gives you a new picture of yourself. 1 John 1, 7. Look at what it says in 1 John. If we walk in the light... As Jesus is in the light. If we come out of the dark and we confess our sins and we walk with Christ, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, His Son, does what, church? Cleanses us from what? All sin. We we need to walk in the light of that. Walk on, move on in that truth. If we say we have no sin... We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us like those Pharisees. But if we confess our sins, we own it. We say what God says about our heart and about our actions. He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from how much unrighteousness? All. Oh, I mean, just, just think about that. What a magnificent, monumental statement. Walk in. In right standing with God because Christ has pronounced you clean. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. What a contrast. And we see it right here in this picture. Don't stay with Jesus and argue the point. Can you imagine if that adulteress had said, You know, are you sure you can do that, Jesus? I mean, I was really, really bad. This wasn't my first affair, I've got several. She didn't argue the point. I think it's in the Word of God to make it just very clear. I don't condemn you. Now move on and right standing with me and live your life without being condemned. Don't condemn yourself for what Christ has pronounced you clean. Don't do it. But here's what she had to do. It wasn't so easy for her to go. Cuz guess what she had to go back to? Mm. She had to go back to that husband. She had to go back to her family. She had to go back to where she lived. She had to go back into the same environment. By this time, news of her affair was everywhere. She had to live her life with the consequences of her sin. And that is not easy. But every day, every day, here's what she had to do. And this is what you have to do. Even if you're bearing the consequences of your sin today, whatever it may be, God has forgiven you. But what you have to do is you have to pick up that picture, that new picture, where Jesus looked at you and said, I don't condemn you. You're paying some of the earthly penalty of sin. And there's just going to be consequences for your sin. But I forgive you. And you've got to carry that picture with you. That truth every single day. Listen to what the psalmist David said. David, uh, he messed up quite a bit in his life. And Psalm 32 is just a reflection of of his sense of forgiveness after he had been exposed by the prophet Nathan for his sin with Bathsheba where he had killed one of his best soldiers to try to cover up the fact that he had had an adulterous affair with Uriah's wife, I acknowledge my sin to you. I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Blessed are you whose transgressions have been forgiven. Live in that reality as King David was living. How could Jesus do this? I don't understand. How could Jesus, who by His Spirit wrote Leviticus 20.10 that says, this adulteress must die, and the same Jesus, the same God, turn and say, well, I forgive you. I'm not going to condemn you. That almost, if we're, if we're not careful... If we don't understand the scriptures, if we don't understand the whole story. We might see a contradiction and think that Jesus disobeyed the law of God. I'll tell you why he didn't disobey the law of God because when he when he said I condemn you, he was very aware that he didn't just overlook the condemnation of her sin. He knew that he was going to step between her and God, that he was going to take the condemnation for her sin on his own life. He just kind of put that over into his category. He said, I'm not going to condemn you because I myself am going to receive the condemnation for your adultery. I'm going to take it on the cross. I'm going to take it on the cross. It's interesting to me that picture of Jesus inviting her to forgiveness is a picture that's actually bathed in the blood of his sacrifice. It's covered with his blood. Look at this picture from the beach that day. Can you show that picture? Yeah, I know what's in there. That's part of the trail to that moment where he invited that young lady into a relationship with him. I saw this trail scattered with the red rose petals. I thought of the trail of Jesus' blood for me. There was a trail to a cross covered with his blood every step of the way blood shed to cover my sin and he invited me into a relationship with him and I received that and listen my sin has been forgiven because of what he did for me it changed my life but notice what he looked at her and he said listen go what's the final thing go and do what sin no more There is no way out of your guilt and shame if you walk right back to the confessed, repented sin and dive into it again. The Holy Spirit is going to come once again and convict you with the Word of God and the Spirit of God. You cannot continue to claim that peaceful, easy feeling of of freedom if you continue in your sin. If you're like me, you're going to go, man, that's tough. That's tough because I'm not always sinless. What do I do? Well as soon as you recognize that you have fallen short, you've sinned, you've, you've raged, you've become bitter, you, you've lusted, you've done some of those things in the weakness of your flesh, and, and, or you've done them intentionally right there in the light, you run back to Jesus. And you claim his forgiveness and you repent of that sin. Was it unreasonable for him to tell that woman to go and sin no more? No, here's what he knew. He knew what all of us need to know is when he tells us to do that, he knows that that is going to require of us a daily relationship with him. (laughs) We're going to have to continually return to Christ and live in his strength And his power and his ability to live that kind of life. What's the picture?